Hello, Central. Yeah, y'all doing well? Hello, everybody watching online. Uh, let me just give a quick shout out to some of these people we got watching. It's not some, it's a lot. We got the Netherlands. Many of us have been there. It's right down the street. Uh, Virginia, New Jersey, Kentucky, Georgia, Massachusetts, New Hampshire. They actually wrote out Louisiana. Even though I'm from there, that'd be the only one I would know the, the abbreviation for. Michigan, New York, Florida, North Carolina, Indiana. So everybody, make some noise for the online viewers. Well, my name is Michael Singer, and I am the pastor at our Lake Norman campus, but I am also part of our teaching team. And so what that means at Freedom House is that we have three physical locations, and we have a teaching team. So there's always a live person that gets to be at each campus. And what I love about that is that I get to travel around occasionally and get to come to some other great campuses like Central Campus. So let's give a hand clap for our senior pastors for doing all that and the vision that they have. All right, I want you to repeat something real loud with me, okay? Say, God, God my, heart my heart is open, and my mind is open, mind is open. For, whatever, for whatever, for whatever you want to say to me. All right, so we are wrapping up this series. Uh, it's called Seven. It is out of the book of Revelation, but it's titled Seven because we've been looking specifically chapters two and three at the letters that were written to the seven churches. So seven letters, we've each taken a letter. All of them will be up online. Even if one of the letters didn't come through Central Campus, they will all be up online. So if you miss one of those, please just go, use the Freedom House app, get online, get on YouTube, and watch those different letters. Uh, so we're gonna close it down today, and I'm actually going to be looking at the Church of Ephesus. But before I get into that, I wanna talk about and take you back to a time where I was in college. It was many moons ago. I was there for a long time. I was there for many moons, and I've been gone for many moons. But back in college, I had a buddy of mine, and when we were living on campus, he and I lived in two different dorms, but there was just a grassy area between us, and the dorm that he lived in was called the International Dorm. And this was the time when the Left Behind series with Kirk Cameron was real popular. Y'all raise your hand if you remember that. Yeah, about, well, about 15 of us. So very popular. Well, my buddy was like, hey, man, let's do a little small group and an outreach thing. Let's show the Left Behind series, invite people from our dorm, and then we'll just have some discussion afterwards. And so that is what we did. Now, that time, and, and if you remember Kirk Cameron, y'all remember Growing Pains? Anybody remember that show growing up? Yeah. Every time I had been involved and heard people talk about Revelation, a lot of what I had heard them talk about was, hey, what are all the signs? What are the things to look for? What do these things metaphorically mean? You know, which country does this symbolize? How are we going to know what's going to be the mark of the beast? And all these signs and symbols of when the end is coming. Nobody knows when the end is going to come, not even Jesus. Very clear. So just looking at all the signs of how are we going to know when this thing is about to wrap up and God's going to be like, all right, <laughs> I'm done. Let's send Jesus back. What I love about this series we're in is that we're reading these letters and it's not just about all the signs, though that's important to look at all that and know that, but just as important is, cool, all these signs are coming, but what is our responsibility as we wait for Jesus' return? 
What is God trying to say to us to get us to say, hey, look, the end is coming, but don't get so wrapped up in that that you forget we have a responsibility right now to survey ourselves, to search ourselves and go, you know what? Is there some things I need to work on as an individual believer in the body of Christ? What about us as a church? What about Freedom House? What can we learn while we're here now that we can operate in and better serve God by ministering and loving on people and still telling them about Jesus as we wait for all these signs and all that stuff to unfold? So that's what I personally love about this series that we're in and these letters, because these letters are predominantly about, hey, church, you need to wake up. You got some good stuff going on, but there's some things you're slipping on and you need to get it right because Jesus will return and there are people that still need to know my name and know my love for them. A little bit of background about Revelation. I know you've heard, if you've been here, you've heard a lot of people kind of get in the intro, talk a little bit about it, but just maybe some recap, maybe some refresher, maybe some new things. It was written around 95, 96 AD. It was sent out to these seven churches uh, it was Jesus downloading things to John. Uh, these seven churches are in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Uh, there a lot of Roman uh, control during this time in that area. And John is a guy that had been exiled to Patmos. And it's funny because as Pastor Troy and Pastor Diana came through Lake Norman campus over the past two weeks, they really reiterated the reason that John was exiled is because they could not kill the man. And the funny thing, as I listened to Pastor Diana talk about that, is I thought of John's superpower. He's a cockroach. <laughs> Have you ever tried to kill a cockroach? You slap your shoe on it, and it walks off with your shoe. They just don't die. And don't tell me it's a water bug. When I moved from Louisiana to North Carolina, people were like, these, these big old cockroaches, they'd be like, oh, it's a water bug. I'm like, don't clean it up. You got cockroaches. Just own up to it and kill him. John was just hard to kill. He didn't die easy, so they said, you got to get out of here. We're going to exile you. Now, this is a time in the, early, in the church where it's rough. A lot of the early church leaders are no longer around. They're dead. A lot of them have been martyred for what they believed in. So it's a really tough time for the church. And John, ultimately, in sending these letters, is trying to give a little injection of hope. Hey, guys, we have some hope. Jesus is going to come, but let's take this hope and let's do something about it right now. Now, Ephesus is a church that was a very significant church out of these seven churches. Business and politics was very big and thriving in Ephesus. And if you look at the map, Ephesus and one other church are right near the water. So the water was a place where commerce happened. A lot of different people came in. So you can imagine there's a lot of different people with a lot of different beliefs coming and interacting, a lot of trade, a lot of things going on in that city. So it was hopping, very, very populous, a lot of moving parts, a lot of people around. And this is where the church of Ephesus was planted. This is what they had to deal with. And in just a moment, we're going to hear what Jesus has to say to them in Revelation. But before we get there, here's a thought that I want us to leave here today. Here's a thought that I want us to take from the church of Ephesus. What happens when the love of overtakes the love for? What happens when our love of overtakes the love for. I want to differentiate 
the dip, uh, between the love of and the love for by telling you a story. It's a book that we used to read to our kids when they were growing up. The book is called The Giving Tree. Anybody ever heard of the, the book, The Giving Tree? Great little book. There's a little boy who would go into the forest and he had this one particular tree that he loved to play with. Said he would climb up the trunk, he would swing from the branches, he would eat an apple occasionally, he would take the leaves that had fallen on the ground, make a crown around his head, he would march around like he was king of the forest. He simply just loved to spend time with this tree and it says this tree loved having him spend time with it. One day, the boy left and he didn't come back for a long time. And then he returned. And when he returned, the tree was excited and said, hey boy, come climb up my trunk, swing on my branches, eat my apples, play like you used to always play. And he said, I'm sorry, I'm too big to do all those things. What I need now and what I want and desire is money. Can you help me with that? And the tree said, I sure can. Why don't you gather all my apples and take them into the city and sell them for money? So that is exactly what the boy did. Many years passed. And then he eventually returned to the tree, and the tree got super excited. Hey, boy, come swing on my branches. Come spend time with me like you used to. And the boy said, I'm sorry. I'm too busy to do all that. He said, I want to get married, and I want to have a family. So what I need right now is a house. Can you help me with a house? And the tree said, I sure can. Why don't you cut all my branches off, take those branches, and go and build a house? So the boy left, and he did that, and he was gone for a long time, and he came back. He was a lot older at this point, and the tree was so happy to see him. Hey, boy, it's so good to see you. Come and sit with me. And he said, I just want a boat. Life has been tiring. Life has been long. I want a boat to sail away and get far away from here. Can you help me with that? And the tree said, I sure can. Why don't you cut my trunk down? You can fashion it into a boat, and then you can sail far away. So the boy cut the tree down fashioned a boat, sailed far away. Many years later, the boy returned, and at this point, he was an extremely old man. And the tree looked at him, and for the first time, the tree was sad because the tree had nothing to offer the boy. He said to the boy, will you come and eat my apples, but I don't have apples to give you. And the, the man said, well, it's all right. My teeth are too weak for apples. The tree said, my branches are gone, so I no longer have branches for you to swing from. He said, it's okay. I'm too old at this point to swing from branches. He said, I'm sorry, my trunk. I, ha I no longer have a trunk that you can climb up. And the old man said, that's okay. I'm too tired to climb. All I need is a quiet place to sit and rest. And the tree, which was now just a stump, he stood up as tall as he could and he said, come, sit on me. I can give you a place to rest. You see, this boy started off with a deep desire and love for this tree. So much so that just being in the presence of the tree was all that he needed. But as he grew older, he began to move and allow the love of the tree to overtake. What could the tree give for him that he could have good things in life? These aren't bad things. But his love for grew into a love of. And this is what I believe Jesus is telling the church at Ephesus that we're going to read about today. So let's start reading in Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 to begin with. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, 
These are the words of him, talking about Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So when we start out with these few verses, we see Jesus, and he's holding these seven stars in his hand, and he's walking amongst these seven lampstands. Now, what this symbolically shows us is that Jesus is revealing himself as king and priest in this moment. He's got the seven stars, which represent the angels, also represent creation, that are in his hand, meaning just equal with God, like God, he is king of this universe, king of everything. But he's walking amongst these seven lampstands. Revelation tells us earlier that the seven lampstands represent those churches. So the fact that he's walking among them, he is showing that he is the priest, the high priest, the last priest to come so that we could all have access to God and have a relationship with him. But he's walking among them because as priest, he's serving and looking and going, hey, I wanna see what's going on in your church. I wanna see if you're following me and doing what I'm calling you to do. And he starts off with some really good stuff. He says, y'all are persevering. You're working hard. Your deeds are great. Like, I love your deeds. He said, matter of fact, there are people that are coming in and they are trying to speak falsely that they are apostles and you call them out. Like you sniff out and you understand and you discern that they are not really apostles. They're just there for their own agenda. So you have all these great things going on. Now, a good glimpse of the challenge that the church of Ephesus had and this praise that they are being given by Jesus on holding uh, firm and strong during all this, a good glimpse of what they had to battle can be looked back at uh, Acts chapter 19. If you go back and read Acts chapter 19, you'll find out that in this area where Ephesus was, there was a lot of pagan worship. You know, I mentioned they were right near the, the water, a lot of people coming in and out. And with pagan worship came idols. And with idols, you need people, silversmiths, to make these idols and sell them. So it was good business in that area if you were a silversmith. And there was this goddess Artemis that they loved to worship in their pagan worship. Well, one day Paul came through there and he told them and scolded the believers. He said, you need to stop this pagan worship. You're mixing God with all these other religions and all this other worship and you need to stop. And so they stopped worshiping the idols, which meant they stopped purchasing the idols from the silversmiths. When you read Acts 19, there's one of those silversmiths, he gets mad. Because when business goes, you're taking food out of my kid's mouth now. We got a problem. He got mad, got all the other people in the town mad with him, and they actually were about to kill two of Paul's disciples because people had stopped worshiping all the idols. This is a picture of what the church of Ephesus had to deal with. This was not just easy. Everybody around us knows God, loves God. It was very difficult. And Jesus starts off by saying, well done. In this area where there's all this pagan worship, you've held fast and you followed me and your deeds have aligned with my deeds. Then we move on in Revelations, and we pick up in the next verse, verse 4, 
I'm going to read through verse 7. It says, yet I hold this against you. So all these great things, and then Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he gives them a positive thing. Hey, these people that are pagan worshipers, you still hate their practices, so that's a good thing. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I love what Jesus says. You've done all these great things, but there's one thing that's becoming a problem. There's one thing that you've gotten into that is an issue, and it all centers around your love, getting back to that first love that you had. And that love there is that word agape. It's that strong emotion that denotes an affection and a regard. Jesus is saying, hey, look, you remember how much affection you used to have towards me? Remember that little boy with the tree? He had such high regard and such high affection, he just spent time with the tree. Jesus is saying, hey, look, you have this strong affection and regard for me, and not just me, you used to have a strong affection and regard for the other believers and the other people in the church, and something is starting to shift. Something is starting to change. Keep your eyes up. Pay attention. Don't lose that first love in the midst of all these great things that I'm saying to you. Now, when you read the Bible and you look at Jesus, you can see that love was a, a paramount and important thing. When they came to Jesus, they said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, all the commandments can be boiled down into one thing, and it all centers around love. He said, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength first, and then just like it, equal to it, just as powerful as a commandment, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Matter of fact, in um, John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35, he says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's trying to get them to understand that, hey, love is important. If you really want people to know who I am and the power of God, show them how we love each other in the body of Christ. Show them in this church, how do we love each other within this church? I love when you look back at the letter that Paul wrote to Ephesians, this whole detail, this whole principle of love was something that Paul prayed over the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, it says this. Paul is talking. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Basically, for this reason, I'm going to pray for you, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ 
that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love that center part, being rooted and grounded in love. In other words, Paul's saying, I am praying that love stays a foundational principle so that Church of Ephesus, Ephesians, the ones who are following God, so that you will never lose sight of that and you will find the fullness of everything that God has for you. And then we have this letter where Jesus is saying, hey guys, (laughs) you're missing out. You're starting to wane on that first love and I need you to come back to that so that you don't get lost and begin to operate in a way that I never intended or desired you to operate, that you begin to operate in a way where you begin to fall away from my relationship with you and your relationship with me. What I wanna do today is I wanna look at those positive things that Jesus said to the church of Ephesus. And I wanna talk about what can happen to the positive things for that church, but also these are things that we deal with What can happen to the positive things that we can do for God whenever the love of overtakes the love for? The first thing that can happen when the love of overtakes the love for is that protection overtakes affection. Protection can begin to overtake the affection that we're called to. I love what Jesus gave them kudos, props, accolades for. He said, hey, look, y'all are calling out those false prophets, meaning that you are being very protective in who is actually about Jesus and talking about Jesus and who is not sharing the truth about Jesus. And you've done it so well, you've recognized them and you've called them out and you haven't let them have any voice in your community of believers. And that's a good thing. But be careful because that same protection can cause you to put up a hedge of protection for even those believers that are in the church with you. Meaning that we can sometimes get so judgmental of calling people out on what they're doing that we might forget that, hey, I wonder what that person's past was like. I wonder what hurt or pain is going on. Instead of being affectionate towards them, we begin to put up walls of protection. You ever, you know, Growing up, you had somebody that you loved, enjoyed being around, you hung out, y'all spent time together, and then all of a sudden something bad happened, they just left you. Then maybe that happened again, and you were hurt. And then all of a sudden you realize that in that area of your life, you begin to put up a protection to protect yourself because you didn't want to get hurt again. That's what happens when the love of becomes greater than the love for, is that we begin to love ourselves more than the love for other people, that we are just concerned about protecting ourselves. That is a love of mentality, not a love for. But that's not what we are called to. In Romans 12, 10, it says this about being affectionate. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. He's talking about the believers. He's like, hey, Give the benefit of the doubt to people. Like, don't just be so protected that you blame people all the time, but give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe look past the action and get to know them and find out what the root of all that is. Be affectionate towards people. As much as it depends on us, try to live in harmony and at peace 
with one another. When the love of overtakes the love for, not only will our protection begin to overtake affection, but our deeds will begin to overtake desire. Our deeds will overtake our desire. Now, this is one that, you know, I can fall into very easily because I love to serve and do things for people. If you ask me, Michael, what is one way that you feel like you easily connect with God? Don't have to think about it just like you're breathing. I would say, man, when I serve somebody, I feel like me and God are close and tight and I'm doing exactly what he's called me to do. That is, that is one of the greatest ways I connect with God. And that's a good thing. However, I have had moments in my life where those deeds begin to overtake that desire. And remember, Jesus told them, good job. I see your deeds and your great works. So sometimes the way those deeds can overtake our desire is that you've done stuff for people so much that all of a sudden, the heart behind why you're doing it no longer trumps what you're doing. It's the what that becomes greater than the why. And you might find yourself with a passion and a love to serve people and that passion and that love starting to go away and you don't feel that anymore, but you're still doing the stuff that you're doing, maybe just so people can say, look at them and look at what they're doing. One of the other dangers with deeds overtaking desire is that people can begin to talk about you in a way that is very great to other people. Did you see him? Did you see her? Man, they'll do anything for anybody. They'll serve them. And do you know what can rise up in us and what rises up in me sometimes is that beautiful thing called ego. Oh, I am somebody because I'm doing that. I am worthwhile. That is what happens when our love of begins to be greater than our love for and we'll begin to lose our desire and we'll be so focused on the deeds that they will begin to override that desire. Here's what Ephesians 4 says, verses 1 through 3. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and this is the key word here, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I love that passage of Scripture because it tells them the deeds of how they're supposed to carry themselves and what they're supposed to do, but that word eager tells me the desire behind it. Do all these things, but be eager about it. This is what Jesus is saying to the church of Ephesus, I see your deeds and I see your great works. But please, if you move away from that first love, you are going to lose the desire behind that because the, de the deeds are going to become more and greater and the desire will be pushed out. Not only does protection overtake affection and our deeds overtake desires, but the prize of perseverance begins to overtake the position of perseverance. The prize of perseverance begins to overtake the position of perseverance. I did a wedding earlier this month, and I was at the rehearsal dinner, was sitting down with the family, and uh, the grandmother of the young lady who was getting married, we, she was sitting beside me. She's from Scotland. We were talking, having a great conversation, and she began to share with me uh, this 
very challenging thing that had happened to her multiple times in her life. It wasn't something that she chose to do. It wasn't something that she made a decision and it, you know, put herself in a bad spot. It was something that just happened in life and it was a very hard, detrimental, challenging thing. And so I asked her, because it happened multiple times, I said, hey, did you ever, when you went through that, did you ever have people that, you know, you talked to or Having gone through it so many times, do you find yourself when you're talking to other people that are going through a similar thing, are you able to use your story to just talk to them and kind of help them know firsthand, hey, God can be in it, but here's some of the things you can do firsthand while he's working with you. And she goes, you know, I never really talked about it when it would happen to anybody. She said, I, we grew up, you just push through. You just get through it. You don't cry about it. You don't talk about it. You just push through and you just persevere through it. And as I thought about that, I thought that's interesting because sometimes the idea of persevering and pushing through, we can turn it into a badge of honor. Man, did you see how, you see how I just made it through that? Like all that stuff was at me and I did it. I rose above it. And when we do that, that is our prize of perseverance. And once we get a prize of perseverance, what we do is we isolate ourselves from God. And no longer is God involved in helping us persevere. It is now us and our ability to persevere. And he's telling this church, please don't lose your love. Because even though you're persevering, you're going to begin to walk away from me and think that, you know what? In your own strength, you can do this. In your own strength, you have the ability. Why do you need God? if you can make it through all these things. That's the prize of perseverance. Here's what the position of perseverance looks like. James chapter one, verses two through four. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. I love this verse because it talks about how great it is to persevere, but not for the sake of us just persevering on our own. Perseverance is an opportunity for us to mature and grow when we walk with God. That is the position that he's trying to tell the church of Ephesus to keep. That is where you keep the love for and don't allow the love of to overtake that. If you will, stand to your feet with me. As you stand, I just want you to take a minute and just think like, what is your life look like when it comes to God? Have you allowed the love of to overtake the love for? Have you lost the desire and those deeds have become the main thing? that you're focused on? Are we so protected that we no longer are able to be affectionate? Is perseverance just a prize or are we treating it like it's a position? I want you to close your eyes right now. Everybody in here, just close your eyes because I want you to listen to the words of a song. The band's gonna sing this song about God's presence and I want you to just listen.
What is God's presence for you? What is it like in your life right now? Is he even there? Do you only go to him when things are tough or hard? Or do you really have a desire to be in his presence? Just like that little boy with that tree. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, he longs for your presence. Do you long for that back? You can make that decision today. And I want to give you an opportunity to say, God, I want a relationship with you and I want you to be present in my life. So if you're here and you don't have that relationship, I want you to just lift your hand and say, God, I want that relationship. Now, if you're here in any of those areas that I mentioned, whether it was the deeds and desires, the affection, and maybe you've lost that affection, maybe perseverance has become just your show and you haven't allowed God in, whatever it is, if you feel like that first love, that maybe in an area you've, you're starting to let it slip away or have let it slip away, and you want to change that today, you want to get back to that first love, I just want you to put your hand on your heart and I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you, everyone in here, as loud as you can, if you're watching online, repeat this prayer after me. Say, God, I love you, and I thank you that you pursued me. Your son, he died for me, and he was raised from the dead, just so you could express your love. Forgive me when I've walked away from that love I'm coming back I'm choosing you I just want to sit and be in your presence in Jesus name Amen y'all give God a hand clap